Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these discussions may, and probably will, include spoilers. We're keeping the Evil Dead sods revving all month long with Daily Horror Habit's series overview, and the time has come to dive into my favorite entry in the series, that being Sam Raimi's 1987 Evil Dead 2 Dead by Dawn, in which Bruce Campbell returns as Ash Williams, continuing his battle against the Deadites, Notably, not only for a continuation of his plight, but a bigger budget and further honed talent allowed Raimi's vision to grow and evolve into something that would define the tone of the series moving forwards. But it isn't just me getting groovy this week, as I'm once again joined by friend of the show and the host of the Nuclear Fridge podcast, Matt Paget. Matt, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, buddy. Uh, glad to be back. Had a blast last time, and... I wanted to listen to some podcasts about the Evil Dead, so I <laughs> bugged you and told you to do all of them. So there you go. <laughs> you definitely helped me to uh, kind of get this ball rolling because it's a series that I've wanted to revisit in its entirety for quite a while. And not that I necessarily had anything stopping me, but, you know, as uh, fans of the genre, it's kind of just inundated really in like a horror renaissance of sorts in terms of I feel like I have to add 10 things to my list every week and you know the release of Evil Dead the game kind of forced me into actually revisiting the series as a whole and kind of just rekindled my love of uh, what is definitely a bedrock I think of the genre yeah it, uh, that game is I love it I, I've yeah. been playing it I'm still playing it still leveling up characters uh, it has really really just uh brought up a lot of feelings about that series it is it is very well crafted uh as like a tribute to this weird ass series that like uh, it, it's one of the most bizarre franchises ever just because like the evil dead evil dead 2 and army of darkness the production of those movies uh, the development of them is so weird. It is not like no one company was like, yeah, let's make a sequel. Uh, super bizarre. And uh, it actually pushed me to watch the TV series, which is fucking awesome. So yeah. super, super happy that game came out when it did. Yeah. And I think that it, it being such a faithful representation of the source material, right? I think I mentioned this in uh, last week's episode with my guest when we were kind of briefly chatting about it, right? I mean, the fear whenever you see a beloved IP is always, well, are the developers going to utilize that to the best of their abilities in the sense of like, is this going to truly be representative of the films themselves? Or is it just going to be sort of a familiar coat of paint? And that's it. But with the game, you know, it really does kind of tie into the elements that make the films, as you had said, you know, it's so bizarre, but it is so its own thing that, you know, it really is unlike anything else. And just thinking about the overall trajectory of those films and, you know, the fact that by the time you get to Army of Darkness, like who could have ever thought that, you know, this small DIY project from hell would ever end up, you know, thousands and thousands of years in the past and the medieval oh, era yeah. and whatnot. Well, I think like the weirdest thing, like I, I, I think about how they made the first Evil Dead and they were all like young, early 20s. 
uh, they had made within the woods, which was this small thing to get people to pay them to make a bigger thing. And they like Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi and Ted Raimi, they were all like high school friends. They were like, like, I couldn't imagine, I guess like I have a friend who I'm still friends with from high school who like has edited parts of the nuclear fridge, but like I'm 29, I'm not 20 and I'm not making something with my high school friend that goes on to become like a hugely beloved cult series that has spawned a video game that has sold more than 500,000 in its first week. It's like, it's wild. Like, could you imagine making something with a high school friend that goes on to be that fucking big and you're still like doing it together after all these years? It's unbelievable. It's just so wild that, uh, and and on top of that, they were friends with the Coen brothers Mm -hmm. when they were making it. So it's like, it's just so unbelievable how, uh, how, how humble and small their beginnings were. And you watch that first Evil Dead and you're like, wow. It is like... It's a small movie and it is definitely... It definitely shows that it's like... Almost... It's like one step away or one step ahead of a student film. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the first time I ever saw the series was that first movie. Um, well, I saw, the, I saw Evil Dead 2 first as far as my mind remembers but re-watching the evil dead the first one recently it it was like when when cheryl is in the cellar and she's smacking up and freaking out that was like oh shit i've seen that like i saw that when i was a really young kid and this is why i'm afraid of basements and being alone (laughs) in basements and uh that first that first evil dead is still fucking it's scared the it's still creepy the the POV shot of Cheryl in the cellar looking at everyone is so creepy. Ah, oh, man. It, it, it's, uh, because then you feel like you're in the cellar with her and her makeup's all fucked up and she looks <laughs> freaky as hell. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I, I'm not, like, Hereditary, Midsummer, uh, The Babadook, Lake Mungo. None of those movies really freak me out, but, like, weird old movies. Like the Evil Dead, and uh, and I mean David Lynch movies also freak me the hell out, but uh, it, it's still really effective. And uh, but uh, you know, still nothing beats Evil Dead Two in my eyes. Like it is such a me movie. You know, I think Evil Dead Two is best described, at least in uh, my household, as being like no notes cinema. In that we all love that movie so much. All my buddies that I live with, we all love the movie to the degree, and you know. I never describe movies like that as being flawless because, you know, everything can, of course, be improved to a certain degree. But really, Evil Dead 2 is one of those movies that, especially when you've obviously seen the original film, which Evil Dead 2 was my introduction to it. And then I didn't actually see the original for a couple of years because I was so young and I just didn't have as much access to horror as I did, you know, the older and older I got and, you know, learning more about horror. Um, But it was immediately something that was unique that was really unlike anything I'd seen before. Like I'd grown up watching those like Abbott and Costello meet the monster movies, which are horror comedies essentially. And when I had seen Evil Dead, it's obviously a horror comedy, the sequel, um, but it's taken to a degree that I had never seen before. Right. I think, and there's such a perfect marriage of horror and comedy in this that there was none of in the original, right. There's a little bit of an inkling of, 
slapstick towards the end of it when Ash is like starting to get more progressively more and more fucked up. He's getting thrown into bookshelves. He's getting thrown into his friend's corpse. But humor was never the focus. Yeah, being insulted. But the original film, it was not that. It was he was very much defined as Ashley in that film. And two, he is Ash and he's only been Ash since that. Right. I think that I talked about that last week that there's a shift, of course, in the tone of that character. But comedy is like one of the most difficult things that you can do in any medium, right? And so to effectively leave behind the tone of the original film and, you know, which played it straight for a majority of it, and to so heavily lean into the comedy while still having a horror aspect that's unignorable in your film, um, I think is just amazing considering, again, like Raimi clearly is somebody that has a great sense of humor and whatnot. But the fact that he's able to make a marriage of the two genres in a way that is so seamless and it feels so natural. I don't know. I would ever describe like going from evil dead to evil dead Two as being jarring in tone because you know, it helps that of course, Bruce Campbell is amazing. So he's able to sell it in a way that's very natural, but that's something that I'm always taken aback by when I'm revisiting one and then immediately two is that that tonal shift feels like such a natural progression of that character and the universe of the movies in general for that core trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you watch, uh, I, I, I'm firmly in the belief. I tend to get into arguments with people over stupid things because my brain works weird. Um, but like, yeah, like I'll be like, Oh no, the end of twin peaks makes sense. Like it, and it's, and it's the ending. It's the definitive ending. Everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Right. It did not end in a way that is normal, but I'll be like, yes, it did. <laughs> uh, but I, I firmly believe that the Evil Dead is like it, it. It goes into Evil Dead Two, and Evil Dead Two is like after the events of the first movie, because you get that like demon vision where you zoom into Ash's face at the end of the Evil Dead, which is like classic horror movie, like oh, the killer gets you at the end of the movie. Um, but then Evil Dead 2 recaps a little bit of the events of the first one, and then you go right into that shot of him getting hit by the demon vision and then flying through the trees, which is such a great scene. And apparently, like, I, I was listening to the commentary uh, this week before this podcast, and, like, it I, apparently that took them all day to shoot. And, like, uh, th- there's this funny, like, like the, I mean, only from high school friends, people who are so connected, can this kind of like camaraderie come about? But like Sam Raimi is talking about all the ways he got to hurt Bruce and how much fun <laughs> that was, and uh, so I I definitely feel like the evil like Evil Dead Two is a direct sequel to the Evil Dead. It's not a remake, um, and even though there are a lot of very similar you know things about it. Um, actually Ash versus evil dead considers both as like, as, as what happened, which is kind of funny. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think like the, the descent into madness really works. And while it's, it, it is like a pretty big tonal shift from the first movie, it is fun to see them basically, if you consider everything from that happened from the first movie, go into this movie and everything that like got ratcheted up like the whole room is laughing at ash williams that is such a fucking awesome scene that 
like you you see the progression of his insanity going through and uh it, it is really fun to watch all these different evil dead things and kind of see how different ash is in each of them and i feel like he is a very like um realistic i mean other, you know he's obviously got a chainsaw for his hand by the end of this one but he's a very realistic hero in the way that he is reacting very much like a regular person would um like he like when <laughs> When the uh, when Annie Noby's mom is in the base in the cellar, and she's singing Mockingbird to her daughter, and she goes to save him, and he just grabs her and goes, "No, come on, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Are you, are you kidding me? Like, this is not what we're doing right now." <laughs> um, so I love him, and and he he feels like a uh, a a realist misfit, and uh, I I really identify with misfits in movies he's definitely a tragic character the longer you look at him through the lens of the series as a whole right and i think that i've begun to view the tonal shift in terms of it being more humorous throughout as being very much like a coping mechanism for him to really obviously handle the fact that he's now had to either have a hand in or watching all of his friends get killed and of course his girlfriend and whatnot um and what you had said about like connecting the original film to the sequel, that was something I only learned about like a few years ago in terms of like, oh, they didn't have the rights to the original movie, so they couldn't just like use footage from the original one. You know how that was kind of like the thing in the 80s, especially with, you know, thinking about those Friday the 13th movies, the first four or five of them all begin with, you know, 90 seconds from the previous movie. But the fact that they not only were able to condense enough of the original film into the opening, you know, less than 10 minutes of the sequel, and you don't feel as if you're missing anything, right? I think that it does such a good job of encapsulating Ash's trauma that by the time you get to, you know, him getting possessed and then he ends up in the cabin again, you kind of just feel like, well, this is a natural way for somebody to behave that has just endured what they did in the opening moments of the movie. And, you know, that's a quality, again, of of a filmmaker that, is still very young, but I'm always amazed at how he's able to take the elements of his original film and to put them into the sequel, but it's not done so in a way that feels like it's like cribbing or resting on the laurels of the popularity of the original, right? I think that he takes so many elements from the original one and then, of course, has a bigger production, a bigger budget, studio confidence behind him now, but he's able to present it in a new way. Like I think about in the first film when he's in the cabin and essentially like he's losing his mind and the cabin is almost like turning against him kind of where the shutters are going, the doors are going um, and he looks into the mirror, right? And he puts his hand in the mirror and it's wet. There's a mirror gag in the sequel, but it's taken to such a exaggerated degree and clearly like a more technical degree to make it happen that it really, you forget completely that, it, oh, well, he's building off of something that was in the original film, but I think that takes like a true master to be able to do that, that you're not like, oh, that's kind of familiar. It's more just like you can appreciate the fact that Raimi's skills as a filmmaker have just grown exponentially in the what, uh, six years since the original film. Yeah, it's again, like every time they make a new one of those, it's year. It's not like, hey, we started right after. No, it's like, here's half a decade of time, six, seven years between each movie, which is funny to think of in in the world we live in now where it's you make a sequel immediately or you don't at all 
And I'm pretty sure the film he did before he did Evil Dead 2 uh, bombed or was a failure. Oh, and so Crime that, Wave. Yeah. yeah, Crime Wave, which I believe, I haven't seen it, but I believe it was supposed to be a failure. So the idea that probably going into Evil Dead 2 seemed like the natural next step just because of the success that they had with you know, the original Evil Dead and the fanfare behind that. And, you know, Stephen King saying it's one of the scariest movies he's ever seen or something to that effect. Like oh, the yeah. idea that it was viewed as being a safe bet, but it feels like just an evolution on what worked in the original film to, you know, the umpteenth degree, just continue to marvel at the success that was Evil Dead 2. And the fact that, you know, you don't have to have seen the original one to enjoy it, like, I find that that was probably that was probably a rarity, I would think, for the period, right? The idea that like people connected movies in a way where it was like, I guess nowadays I'm thinking like if you missed the one previously, it's like, well, why the hell would you watch the sequel before that? Which I find is a rare quality with Evil Dead too. That it doesn't require that. Of course, it helps. It's more enjoyable as a whole for the franchise. But individually, each of Ash's chapters, I find you know them being so stylistically similar in some regards, but at the same time, like you can enjoy them independently from that history and that lore between films. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I always, I mean, I think the funniest thing about evil dead too, is that, uh, he's, he's cut his, <laughs> especially since it's probably the first for so many people within five minutes, he's beheaded his girlfriend and buried <laughs> her body. And now it's like, it feels like that whole first 30 minutes where Ash is in the cabin by himself feels like the final act of a movie and it's it's like your introduction to this world and uh I, I always loved how how fast it moves right at the beginning and uh yeah it, it's it's i mean like you said it's like this perfect blend of horror and comedy that is like unmatched like the only the only movie that i can really think of that comes close is reanimator and uh and that uh that it's it's a rare it's a rare thing because you I mean of course you get your Shaun of the Dead's that are you know it's horror comedy there's some horrific stuff in Shaun of the Dead but it definitely feels like if you called it a comedy no one would like bat an eye same with something like um, like what we do in the shadows like if yeah. if you called that a horror movie people would be like hmm I don't think so but like I love that just perfect blend of horror and comedy and and i feel like you could call evil dead to either genre and no one would be upset or i guess you know if you called it a horror they'd be like nah it's more horror comedy but if you called it a comedy they would say well you still got to mention the horror part it's it's cool and um i think like bruce campbell is is uh it's it's shocking to me that he wasn't bigger than he was and he had a great career like don't get me wrong and he continues to but like, you you watch him in Evil Dead Two, and it's like Jim Carrey did this shtick six years later. Like he did the whole "I'm smashing plates on my head," "I'm I'm a modern day Three Stooge." Like, uh, but like Bruce Campbell did it in Evil Dead Two. Like, and and also the whole him fighting his own hand thing. Jim Carrey did that in Liar Liar. Like. It is like full, he literally is fighting his hand in Liar Liar. And it's like, Bruce Campbell did this first. I'm not calling Jim Carrey a hack fraud. I love Jim <laughs> Carrey. But Bruce Campbell was capable of that physical comedy that was so popular with Jim Carrey that I'm just shocked 
that he never I mean I that's the whole thing is like Evil Dead is still such a cult franchise even though like it is loved by so many people it, it is still not like you, a lot of people wouldn't like consider it on the same level as like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street um still not a household name brand like when i think about the horror that like my parents were familiar with back in the day what gets thrown around it's like the exorcist halloween these things that were unmissable when they were released just because of you know how you know it seems like world shattering they were when they were released and their effect on you know not just in the genre or in you know cult film circles and things but it seems like society in general like it was a seismic shift in the perception of what you could do in films and things of that nature. But with something like Evil Dead, right, I completely agree, right? The idea that it's still, even though it has gotten exponentially bigger since the original film, it's still not necessarily like a mainstream household name in that regard, right? Um, But in terms of like what you're saying about Bruce Campbell, he has always been such an enigma to me. And, you know, not, again, he has been incredibly successful both in film and of course, you know, in TV and whatnot. But I have always wondered, like you, like, why has he not been even more prevalent than he has been, right? And again, that's not to take away from any of his successes and things like that. Maybe he wants it that way. But, you know, in revisiting all of the movies and uh, about half of the series in the last, you know, month or so, I mean, he really is one of the greatest comedic actors of all time, I think, with this character. Um, And it's not just... Like the cutesy one-liners that, of course, you know, everybody's familiar with that seen Evil Dead and loves the character and whatnot. Um, but it's more so about, you know, the scenes that you mentioned, right, where his girlfriend's uh, severed head bites him and spreads the, uh, the deadite curse and the body horror element of those movies. And watching him beat the fuck out of himself in a way that, you know, far exceeds any sort of slapstick comedy, in my mind, at least, that I've seen or previously seen. Um, It remains just a staggeringly hilarious performance that, you know, again, thinking about the limitations of even though the second film was bigger, obviously it still does not have the budget of a big Hollywood movie or anything like that. But the fact of the matter that he's doing all of those things, occasionally still getting fucked up by some of these stunts, like it is such an incredible performance that as much as people like you and I rave about it, it still doesn't get the proper credit I think that it deserves because it is that amazing in terms of not only this film but you know going into army of darkness and some of the stuff that he's done in the series as well yeah and and you think about like bruce campbell and everything he's done like i mean he's he's inexorably tied to sam raimi forever and like i mean i was introduced to sam raimi through spider-man like that was my big thing and i didn't know who the hell bruce campbell was at the time I didn't know he was the wrestling announcer in that wrestling scene, but he was the narrator in all those video games. Like he was the voice that was teaching you how to play Spider-Man and being a goofball while doing it. So it, it's like, I, I mean, as and in like, if you think about his roles in those Spider-Man movies, like he was the wrestling announcer, which is a hilarious role because he he's the one that creates the name Spider-Man because he thinks the human spider sucks. <laughs> and in Spider-Man 2, he's the usher who's telling Peter Parker that he can't go see Mary Jane because you can't go in while the play is going. And then so he steps back and makes a little bit of noise. And then Bruce Campbell's like, hey, you got to be quiet. There's a play going on. 
And then in the third movie, he plays a French maitre d' in a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's so silly, but, like, in a weird way, even though I didn't grow up with the Evil Dead movies, like, they came to me when I was a teenager, I I grew up with Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi through Spider-Man, which is such a weird thing, that my favorite superhero, my favorite movies as a kid, were made by this guy who made these, like, small horror movies that... Like, like even even now today, thinking back on like how good he was in the Spider-Man movies, in those small roles, and thinking about how good he was in the main roles in these movies, it's like, man, you should have been bigger. And like, even though you were a part of my life growing up with those fucking video games and everything around them, like, damn, dude, like, I'm sure he, I'm sure he doesn't regret it, but it, it's like, I wish I could give him more. You know what I mean? Which. Who knows? Who knows if he actually wants to be a bigger name or a bigger star? Well, that's the thing, too, that I've been thinking about. And, you know, I've listened to a couple of recent interviews with him, and apparently he lives out in, like, middle of nowhere in Oregon or something, I believe. And it's like, clearly does not want to be in the limelight or anything like that. And, you know, I would assume, not obviously know, that he was not interested in being because I feel like, again, like you had said, he could definitely be bigger, I feel like, just because of his ability to exist in both sides of the genre, but also the fact that like, even in Evil Dead 2, there are so many moments that he's able to like reel in a little bit of Ashley at times, right? Because the majority of the film, he's Ash, but even in the most comedic of moments where he's been beating the fuck out of himself in the kitchen... Right. He has that moment where he's like takes his hand, he's slamming it against the ground and it's still trying to get him. And he's like, give me back my hand. Like that is kind of like a heartbreaking moment, even though if what precedes it and what follows it up is hilarious. Like there are still moments of Ashley that come out at times, which I think is what makes him, you know, still somewhat of a tragic character, even if the movies get progressively funnier, the further into the series you get. But at the same time, like he has the capacity and he's, of course, shown that in some dramas and things like that. But the idea that he is such a multifaceted actor that is probably done a disservice in people overly stating, like, he's a comedic actor, uh, which, you know, he is a very funny actor and he has done comedic style roles. But I don't know, I feel like it's almost an oversimplification of the man and his true ability. Um, but I will say, you know, I, I'm just like, it's so funny. You and I seemingly have a similar history with um with horror and that like I came to these movies when I was in middle school or high school and grew up with the Spider-Man movies as well. Um, and I just watched multiverse of madness last night and just like him having a 60 second or 90 second cameo in that it's just like, Oh, the boys are getting back together again, which I love to see because he's able to, you know, be dropped into these Raimi projects and it's giving the audience what they want, but it never necessarily feels like, oh, this is just him putting his friend in the movie. Like, there's a genuine laughter that always accompanies whatever he's doing in terms of, like, these little cameo roles. Yeah, they, they love each other. And it's, I mean, like I said, it's wild. Uh, it's not <laughs> it's not common to be friends with your high school friends when you're an adult, let alone, like, working partners throughout your careers and still wanting to do that into their 60s. Like... It's uh, it's wild, and I, and I admire the hell out of it, and thank God that they, they have stuck together this long, because, I mean, I feel like everything leads back to Evil Dead 2 with these guys. Like, I mean, obviously it goes back further than that, 
But I feel like Evil Dead 2 just accompany like, or just encompasses their careers so well. Just in terms of, like, like you said, like, there is a humanity to Ashley, and there is the insanity of Ash. And, uh, like, I just, some of my favorite scenes in that movie are him watching his girlfriend dance in the moonlight with the weird <laughs> stop motion. Uh, just horrified, and then she jumps at him in front, uh, and then there's him fighting his hand, which is so silly, and I know that they're, they, like, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, they were big fans of, uh, like, the Three Stooges and whatnot, so that physical comedy is just so, like, they know it so well, uh, and, and of course, who's laughing now? It's like, it's your hand, no (laughs) one's laughing, (laughs) and he just cuts his hand off, um, I, I love that, it's, it's, it, it hits all these notes so well. But I think what also I'm most impressed about the second film is that, again, you know, we've mentioned now the tonal shift, the ability to really walk what I think is probably the finest of tightropes in genre, if I'm being honest. You know, I'm a little more biased to the horror side of things. But, you know, horror comedies are typically films that I either I'm all in on or I bounce off of just because, again, you know, the they end up stepping in one pool more than the other typically. And... It, the fact that this film is able to do that tightrope walk throughout the entirety of it, but at the same time, you get to see Raimi and how he's grown as a filmmaker and how he gets to play around in a familiar setting with familiar variables, but it's not nothing feels like it's pulling punches. It feels like he is going for it, not only in terms of like the typical sequel-esque nature of these types of movies where it's like bigger and better, but at the same time, you see like a technical prowess that's evolved in the interim since, you know, the original film and now the sequel, especially like with that scene that you're mentioning, not only is, you know, Bruce Campbell doing front flips and smashing plates and stuff over his head, but even the physical comedy when his character quite literally is knocked out, right? When the hand is starts to drag him across the floor. Yeah. And it's, it's not just that you get to see the hand moving while he's, you know, like all unconscious and shit, but you get to actually like get a POV shot of the hand and when the hand Which is notices, like, what, what <laughs> POV of a hand. It's so good. And it's such a fleeting moment, but it adds so much personality to what's happening that the hand itself literally becomes another character. Like when the hand is dragging him and it's going to pick up another plate, it drops it and it's reaction when it sees the butcher's knife. Right. And it's yeah. like the hand is like surprised by it. And then it kind of like gets giddy as it tries to drag him that way. Like, the ability to have so much personality in something and not dedicate a lot of time to it. And also, of course, it not having a voice or anything of that nature. I don't know. I think that the ability to make things that don't have an actual personality, like be reflective of that or know its intentions through just physicality. Like that's amazing. I think. Yeah. It's very Looney Tunes, very Tom and Jerry. Uh, It, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's so well done and I love uh, I I just love like it's such it's like dude his perfect foil is his hand like it's just so funny and and that that gets brought up in the TV series and um, I love the uh, I love the the later moment where you don't see the hand for a while as far as you know the hand is gone and then uh, there's it's the classic it's the classic horror gag. It is like probably the most 
tropey cliche horror gag of all time where it's like oh you're holding my hand too tight <laughs> i'm not holding your hand and it's just <laughs> ash's evil demon hand holding bobby joe's hand it's just it's fucking perfect <laughs> But, you know, I think, again, like the ability to capitalize on because I think that was a gag from like The Haunting on Hill House or something of that nature, like an older, older horror movie. But the fact that, again, Raimi is able to inject his own humor onto something that might be familiar or I don't know, that's like a callback to a classical horror movie, but it doesn't feel like it's like a lack of originality or something like that. You know what I mean? There have been so many yeah, films totally. and filmmakers that I think have tried to do what Raimi does in an instance like that. And it comes off as hacky. Cause it's like, well, you couldn't think of anything. So you're just kind of like cribbing off of something with Raimi. He's always able to put his own spin on it. I mean, the whole sequence before that, when he's still chasing the hand around after he's, you know, cut it off and it's running around through the walls or, he puts the trash can on top of it. And then what does he put on top of it? A farewell to arms, which is yeah. still one of the funniest gags, not only in horror, but that's like one of my personal favorite gags ever, because it's, again, it's funny, it's potent, and it doesn't linger on it for too long. Raimi really knows like to tell a joke and then move on to the next five or six jokes. Yeah. He's got very good timing, uh, which is like something that I, I, I value so much. But, like, every time I, like, explain it to someone, like, we watch a comedy, and I'm like, yeah, you know what, that was a funny joke, but they didn't hit the timing on it, so it wasn't as impactful. Then someone's just like, what the fuck's your problem? Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, there's a sign, there's, like, an art to this. And Sam Raimi just nails it all the time. Um, yeah, I, 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 I just, I think, like, the just Tex Avery-ness of that first 30 minutes, I, I, we're, we basically just talked about the first 30 <laughs> minutes of this movie. But it's just, it's so, it's just perfect. And, and I think that, like, the Looney Tunes stuff just speaks to me so much because that was what I grew up with. So, to, like, to, to not make a farce out of the evil that you're dealing with, it, it, it's such a monumental undertaking. And they nailed it. Like, they, they really made this goofy-ass horror movie that still feels as deadly as it should. Um, and of course there's the, there's, there's the next hour of the movie with Annie Noby and them coming to the, the cabin and, oh man, like it, it's, it's fun introducing them to the madness, but I think like probably the most interesting part of it is that it's never as insane as it was in that first 30 minutes, which leads me to believe that Ash is just insane and that once normal people get introduced to his world he it, it gets it's not normal by any means because obviously Henrietta shows up but it definitely you never see like the cabin laughing at him or like anything as weird as like the mirror gag in that one which was funny like I love mirror gags in old movies because now it's like oh there's a mirror thing CGI like now it's like oh there's a mirror thing so they had to get a different person to play real ash so you see the back of his head and then bruce campbell had to play evil ash in the mirror or like another example of that is um is uh, bram stoker's dracula where um gary oldman had to come up behind 
a fake Keanu Reeves while he was shaving so he wouldn't appear in the fake mirror that was really just a cutout with real Keanu Reeves shaving. So, like, that stuff is... I, I Just give me a second to geek out about filmmaking here. <laughs> but it's just, it. like, that is so... It is just so much more fun and interesting and... We, we've lost a bit. I mean, there's nothing wrong with CGI. I, I sh- there's nothing wrong with CGI. The people who do it are incredibly talented. The, the technology we have is wild. But there's just something about the Evil Dead series, Evil Dead 2. Uh, and they lose a little bit of it in Ash vs. Evil Dead because it's a TV show and they, gotta, they, they do some practical, some CG. But Evil Dead 2, everything you're seeing is real. There, there's very little, like visual effects done with computers like the blood you see all real like it, it's 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 awesome and and that mirror scene is just so exemplative of what i fucking love about filmmaking and it's just so it's just so funny that like i think sam raimi calls him an annoying intern the guy who <laughs> played ash in the real world while he was looking at the mirror and that is just so much fun. That is just so much fun that, like, they had to get a guy to... It, it, it's it, it's magic. It's magic. It's movie magic. I, I'm going on a crazy rant here. I'm turning no, into I, Ash I stuck it. in the cabin. But when I was a kid, I loved magic tricks until I found out that they were fucking fake. And, they were, and all of them were like, oh, how did the girl get to the other side of the room? Oh, she's a twin. And it's like, fuck that. That's so stupid. I hate that so much. Um, but movies, that's a fucking magic trick. They and, and Evil Dead 2, all of it is a magic trick. That they're, like, they filmed all the exterior shots first. So they had to, like, guess what the gore would be like at certain parts of the movie. And then they put it all together and you buy it as one continuous thing that happened. And that's a fucking magic trick. And it's so cool. And Evil Dead 2 is full of them. It's it's so awesome. I love it. Well, that's why I think that, you know, the sequel, every time I watch it, and it's probably the one in the series I've seen the most, just because, you know, how easy is that movie to throw on? Not only when you want to revisit it, but like with friends and stuff. Like that is one of the first horror movies from the 80s that I show my buddies that aren't necessarily into older movies just because it is such a wonderment of, again, you know, what we've been talking about, the blending of genres, but also you know, Ash being this lovable, insane person. But at the same time, like the technical prowess of how they're able to pull off all those things hold up. And, you know, that's something that people say a lot of the time about movies that they like, well, it still holds up and this and that. But, you know, if you look at movies from that era and even after that, there are movies that came out after that that have much bigger budgets and much more experienced filmmakers. And it's not a CGI thing. It's that they just don't look as good or they don't hold up in regards to, selling you on that essentially with that scene that you keep mentioning with the mirror right you essentially can't see the puppet strings right but there are plenty of movies out there that have tried to do something either similar or even their own type of scare or gag but you can almost begin to see like the inner workings of it because it's just not as well constructed um and again that is a fantastic scene that i think shows that Raimi's ability to continue evolving even if it is building from something he's done previously, it's not only, you know, rivaling what he's done, but it's, it's you know, superseding it, essentially, in that he has made 
an even more technically proficient version of that. And, you know, it holds up to the degree that most films probably wish they could. Um, and I don't know. It's a movie that I continually revisit. And it's just like, how did these... I, I think that the movie and, you know, his filmmaking in general, it always just speaks to the idea that when people want to attack horror movies or attack horror genre and say that they're just this or that, it's like, well, this movie is made better and probably had more thought put into elements of it than whatever drama came out that year that maybe got nominated for an Oscar or whatever. Like, that's the true tragedy, I think, of going back and looking at a lot of horror movies that in their day were not maybe as successful as they should have been out the gate. It's like, well, it makes sense why these films have been able to like withstand that test of time because they are such amazing, essentially, you know, magic tricks of wonder and filmmaking in general. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, just out of interest, I looked up what won that year for the Oscars. What won? The Last Emperor. I've never fucking heard of this movie <laughs> in my life. Although I recognize the poster. I've definitely seen Evil Dead 2 more than The Last Emperor. I don't even yes. know what that is. Broadcast News is on here. Fatal Attraction. And Moonstruck. And Hope and Glory. I've seen I've the Evil Dead is better than all these. <laughs> Evil Dead Two is way better than all these. Michael Douglas won for Wall Street. Come on, Bruce Campbell, motherfuckers. We know that the uh, the Academy doesn't give horror its due, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get. I mean, like, uh, I feel like you you got to be like a Coen brother to sneak comedy into the Oscars. But uh, yeah, no, I I I think Evil Dead deserves. Every fucking Oscar. Which one Which one do we have here? Best original song? I'm sure there's a song in there <laughs> you can find. The song he plays on the piano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I fucking... Evil Dead 2 is just such a phenomenal movie. And I... I mean, we, we haven't even talked about, like, probably the most iconic scene where he finally uh, replaces his hand with a chainsaw. And I just love the, uh, I mean, you, you see the, the friggin' inspiration, uh, that this movie has given to so many directors. The, the one that stands out most to me is, is, um, Edgar Wright, where he, you were getting the close up, like, <laughs> like <laughs> things of him putting together his chainsaw arm yep. and getting ready to fight the evil dead. You see that in all of his movies. Yeah. You see that in every Edgar Wright movie. <laughs> he he does something like exactly like that and it's 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 uh, it's it's wild how much this movie has inspired directors and it, ha it ha just, I don't even know why I'm like like oh you got to give it its credit cuz it's got so much credit, but I feel like more people should know about it and uh just so maybe we can get more people playing the Evil Dead game so it doesn't die in a month. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's a fantastic scene and, and nothing gets me hyped more than at any point than him saying groovy. Well, what I love about that scene, and it's part of what you'd mentioned, right? It's that when, you know, if you've seen the original film, you're expecting the chainsaw to be exactly where it was in the original movie. And so throwing that curveball of pulling the curtain aside and it's not there... 
What really sells me on that though is that there's like a white chalk outline. It's like this yeah. is somebody's like country bumpkin retreat. Like, why would they do? Like, I'm sure if it's anything like different family members that have cabins out in the woods, like I do, they just have shit thrown in their shed haphazardly. It's not necessarily like they're drawing the outline to make sure everything's exactly where it is <laughs> it, and whatnot. It's there to let you know that it's missing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I, I love that. Yeah. Little moments like that. I love, and it gives so much personality. And this is again, like, you know, keeping more and more praise at Ramey's feet, um, his ability to insert either little moments of humor or extra detail to every single scene that makes it that much more memorable or that much more remarkable, right? It's not just yeah. that he's cutting her head open half of the chainsaw or her disembodied head or disembodied body runs at him with the chainsaw at first, right? It's that he's able to have those very practical, gory moments, but then he's following it up with either humor or even just in terms of the way that a shot is composed or the fact that like when the body starts gushing blood everywhere, it gets on the light bulb. And then we've got this kind of almost Argento-esque neon drenched scene for a moment, which I love. And, you know, he's able to impart so much personality into every scene that nothing is really forgettable in a lot of ways. You know, even you had mentioned 30 minutes into the movie, we start to get introduced more and more to other characters. Of course, you know, the cast grows and then they have to contend with the Deadites with Ash. You know, as a kid, when I first saw it, I didn't like those moments. I didn't like that because it detracted from Ash, right? The focus was being then again divided up amongst the entire cast. But, you know, as I've gotten older and, you know, think that I have a better understanding of how a film is constructed, like we would burn out on that after the first 30 minutes, right? If it was just Ash then acting crazy or seeing his insane reactions to the thing or how, you know, the deadites are going to continually fuck with him, like, each of those characters is important and facilitates, I don't want to say a distraction from Ash, but like it never lets us really get burnt out on this character that we love that you, I mean, how can you not? Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, going back, uh, I mean, to the Looney Tunes, like, yeah, th there's a reason those are shorts and not full features, every single gag they have. Um, and I feel like the pacing, it helps the pacing a lot. Um, but going back to the shed scene, it, that that just goes to another point of like Ash is like a normal person in a horror movie that is going insane like you would uh, and but also when he is going to chainsaw Linda's head and it starts talking to him like Linda would and starts crying and say you said we'd be together forever and he just goes ah <laughs> like I'm like he's not like Oh, I'm convinced. Like, like in a typical horror movie, the protagonist would go, "Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're good now." But he just goes, "Bah! This fucking sucks." <laughs> and then she goes back to being a demon, and he saws her head in half. Uh, I I got a figure of of Ash that has the Linda head, and I kind of just want a big version. Like, if if I could, I think that is along with the Necronomicon, I would love a, a real prop Necronomicon. I would love a real prop Linda head put in my house. <laughs> I love that scene so much. There was a special edition of, it was probably the second, uh, it was probably for Evil Dead too. There was a DVD special edition that I distinctly remember seeing in the shelf at Best Buy because at the time I was like, what the fuck is it? Like, what is this? What is this <laughs> disgusting looking movie? And why does it have a fucked up face on it? But it actually was the Necronomicon for the case. Um, and I wish I had bought that, but of course, you know, being... 
probably seven when I saw that. I had no idea what that was, and it probably scared yeah. me quite a bit. But I think it also made a noise, like it had a button on it or something. That oh, could press. yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh man, I miss the elaborate, uh, the elaborate sort of special editions that they used to do for movies that they seemingly don't do outside of maybe a few boutique uh, distributors yeah. these days. And normally that's it's just a box with like a poster and some stuff. Like there's nothing like as weird as uh, like the special green VHS case for Shrek or anything like that. Yeah, there's nothing cool like that anymore, unfortunately. But in terms of what you were saying about, you know, the uh, Linda's head right before he saws it, like, again, diverting back to her human form for a minute, that was an element of the original film that I hadn't remembered as being as vivid, but like the Deadites themselves being these sinister forces that, you know, really define them as being something other than like zombies or something like that, right? And I talked about it in my Evil Dead episode last week where like the Evil Dead or the Deadites rather, they are defined by them, you know, gleefully enjoying playing with their prey or their food essentially before they devour their souls. And that's a quality that never stops being terrifying and disturbing throughout the entire series, which I love so much. And, you know, it's of course sold by the fact that, you know, again, Raimi's technical proficiency and the prosthetics that go into all of this sell it really, really well. But those are still some of my favorite moments when the Deadites, you know, they revert back for a moment to try and manipulate them. But then if anything, you see that Ash is this character who is growing as, you know, a Deadite Slayer, if you will, right? He is noticing that, oh, these are some of the trappings that they try to do or these different things where I'm always impressed by characters and series that, can be reflective of what they've experienced, but it's playing it, it's focusing it or showing it to the audience through the physicality, which is probably one of his greatest strengths, right? With this movie and just in general is his physicality, right? He's able to show that rather than being like, oh, you're not going to get me again or something corny like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I absolutely love and um, yeah. And I think again, like when you kind of start to think about the finale and how the survivors end up dealing with, you know, seeing the Deadites. They don't just feel like it's a carbon copy of what we saw in the previous film, right? I think that especially Henrietta, who I think Ted uh, Ted Raimi was doing the acting for that. Like they put that prosthetic suit on him and apparently it was so gross that they had to like dump the sweat out of it because it was this oh, horrific yeah. like... What, there's a scene where he, I think he's grabbing Ash and he's up in the air or Henrietta's up in the air, and you can see the sweat pouring out of Henrietta's ear. Uh, you know, a funny thing about Henrietta, I my most recent viewing, I didn't know Ted Raimi was in the suit until recently. My most recent viewing, I saw Henrietta, I said, that's Ted Raimi. I, I, I saw through the makeup, I went, that, like, the, the prosthetics shape, shape, I was like, that... That looks like it fit perfectly on Ted Raimi's face. And you mm -hmm. look it up and you're like, oh shit, it is Ted Raimi. <laughs> but I just love, you know, thinking about Henrietta specifically. It She's the perfect embodiment of the Deadites. Because, you know, again, like playing with their prey, taunting the prey and whatnot. I'm gonna, I'll swallow your soul and all of these things, taunting them. But at the same time, like they really do up the prosthetics. And it's not just that now, you know, to avoid an X rating, they're just going to have traditional blood the entire time, or we're going to make it even more gruesome. Like just the amount of detail that goes into the prosthetics for Henrietta 
is equally disturbing while at the same time still being in line with what you would assume a deadite would probably look like or another rendition of it. Um, I just like that, you know, they they utilize that bigger budget and that bigger production in a way that what they show just feels like what you think that they would have wanted in the original film. And I think that's why, you know, the sequel sometimes is done a disservice by people saying, well, it's just the original film, but with a bigger budget. Um, because of yeah. course, as we know, it does so much more than that. And if it, essentially it shapes the trajectory of the next film. And of course, I think it's what three seasons of the show um, and further solidifies Ash as being this tragic yet very comedic figure in the series and franchise and in the genre in general. But I just love that. Again, it comes back to Raimi capitalizing on bigger budget, bigger production, but it feels like a natural progression rather than essentially like rewriting what the deadites could be or what they look like. It just feels like the most gruesome version of what we had seen previously. And they really do keep that going. I think all the way through army of darkness, which again, even if you don't have to have seen each of the films, there's that connective tissue there that you can't not at least be like, well, let me go back maybe and see what the previous film was like, which was kind of my experience because I went from two to three and then to one, uh, kind of just when I was able to actually get a copy of the original. But it it's nice to see similarities going all the way through a franchise rather than the final film not being representative of like the starting place. But at the same time, as I say that, who the hell could ever foresee the fact that Ash would end up in medieval times, but you can at least see like the lineage of the deadites and whatnot and his trajectory into this uh, savior of uh, humans, no matter the era he's in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> like I said, I feel like each, each rendition of Ash feels different um, in each movie, but they do feel like, like a parts of a whole that you're getting. Um, going back to the prosthetics though, Ed Getley, when he gets turned into a deadite, that is one of the most fucking disgusting goddamn prosthetic <laughs> faces I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's so nasty because his face is all fucked up. Then his mouth is super wide open and he has like layers of teeth. Yeah. The jangly teeth mouth. freak Ugh. me out. So gross. Yeah. I really don't like that. It's nasty. But, I mean, it's good, but it's nasty. And and at the same time, though, like, the fact that they look the part, but then they're still able to incorporate that slapsticky Looney Tunes direction in a way that doesn't feel, like, overshadowing, almost, if that makes sense, right? I think that with, like, specifically Henrietta, as disturbing as she looks and how she is in line with behaving like the Deadites did in the original and taunting them and all of these things... She's not afraid to like pull his legs out from under him and watch Ash go crashing down the fruit cellar steps. Like, I just yeah. love that. Again, it's this perfect marriage of what worked in the original, but evolving on it in a way that some people might be like, well, this is very jarring, but it couldn't feel more natural, I feel like. Because again, going down that rabbit hole or that descent into madness, it's like, well, of course, everything is going to, you know, get cranked up to 11 the further that this tragic guy has to furthermore watch a whole new group of people get killed. And, you know, he himself getting possessed and being, uh, having a deadite inside of him and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, it's a film that 
you can't give enough credit for the swing that it takes because it is a big swing in terms of incorporating a whole nother facet to the character, but also overall, like the direction to a certain extent. And yet Raimi pulls it off, you know, with the help of uh, a, a gang of equally talented, uh, you know, filmmakers and actors and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, what what a movie. And that scene where he's locked in the, the cellar and Henrietta is slowly coming. I love that. Like, those kind of scenes really make me nervous. But there's something about that scene that is just like, like, <laughs> it's like comedic and also like terrifying. And it, it's, it's kind of funny now that Ash is in the cellar because, you know, last person who was in the cellar was Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I and then... <laughs> Then the next person that's in the cellar is is the old lady who's looking at her daughter. I just love that shot of just like a, a kindly old woman singing, <laughs> and her, she's like got the cellar door open. It's it's perfect. What a fucking movie. Two more little things that was very impressed with again talking about his ability to reference the past or have a film that's informed by his past film but it capitalizes on on it in a new facet, right? And part of that is the finale with the stop motion work. Um, the stop motion work at the very end of the original film, uh, I hadn't rewatched that movie in quite a long time. And I was just so impressed with not only the quality of it, but at the same time, like the depth that that scene goes into, the longer it goes on. Like I had forgotten how long that scene of the Deadites breaking down was. And it's not just that they're like rotting slowly with a lingering camera on them. They are literally like, there's, there's, there's levels to this, right? It's not just that they're like losing their limbs or they're melting essentially, but like limbs start to burst through their body in these ways that would never make sense. Um, But I think with, you know, the sequel, furthermore, you have Henrietta shifting into like that long giraffe necked, essentially deadite, right? And how you have this whole lengthy fight scene where Ash is not only swinging the saw and trying to shoot her and whatnot, but you even have like a little slow-mo shot, which I had never seen at that time in like a movie that old before. And just like so casually incorporating something that felt like it was from an action movie. And then it immediately snaps back to, you know, the way that the movie's been framed and shot for the rest of it. But again, it's him taking these familiar staples of filmmaking that he did in the original. And it's not just that everything looks better, but the way in which he's doing it almost feels just like more dynamic. Again, it's him doing what he wishes that he could have done probably in the original film. But there's more of a creative spark there than just like, let me just do that. But like in HD or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. But also the other thing was the reference to the tree from the original movie, right? You know, oh, yeah, we, we talked at length in the last week's episode again about that scene and, you know, how as disturbing as it is. And I, we understood why like some people bounced off of the movie because of that scene and what it depicts. But at the same time, like his ability to have that technical prowess in capturing that moment in the original movie, but then in the sequel having it, but in a very different manner, right? He didn't feel Mm -hmm. like he just had to revisit that well. And if anything, it kind of feels like, and him and a couple of other people have said in interviews, like, they regret that scene in the original movie, right? Because of what it depicts and yeah. how harsh it can be, right? Well, you, you think about it, like like we said, like I I <laughs> they created something amazing when they were like high school buddies, like early twenties. And of course there are decisions we would all make when we are in our early twenties. Uh, 
I'm glad I wasn't a director making movies and putting my 20 year old decisions into movies. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and of course, 20 year olds in the 70s at at that. Thankfully, like you said, it it, like the Evil Dead 2 with the tree stuff. It definitely seems like, oh, yeah, we we we've matured and we realized that was fucked up. (laughs) But also like took away from that scene. Yeah, I mean, also just the idea that he's able to, because having the tree, mon- the tree monster, like that references the fact that, yeah, that happened in the original movie. But by this point, and, you know, it shows in terms, I would think, like attributing to the maturity in that regard, like he's able to incorporate something that was present in the first movie. But you see growth there, not only again, in like the technical prowess of it, but in terms of the wherewithal with like, OK, is this something I might regret? a couple years down the line and 10 years down the line. And he's able to incorporate it in a way that is larger than life compared to what was in the original. And it fits in a way that makes for a fantastic finale that again, shows the fact that they spent every dollar that they had in this movie in a way that just furthermore pushed the envelope, but in very different ways, which is something I still find to be super impressive. I mean, he's still a relatively young filmmaker in this at that time. And oh, yeah. the, the fact that he is able to, you know, be reflective at that age, like I turned 30 this year, I just started getting reflective on myself and things like that. So the idea that he's able to be this prolific filmmaker that in such a short amount of time has not only honed his skills, but is also like growing and his own maturity is reflective in what he's making. I just find to be a really endearing quality for a uh, filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I would say that my favorite Sam Raimi movie is Evil Dead 2 and to, but to think like that's not that's not me being it's it's not like a lot of directors where you you're like oh my favorite Spielberg movie is Jaws um, it's like oh but he still made Jurassic Park he still made it's like these fucking big movies Sam Raimi still made like the best superhero movies in my opinion he still made movies like, um, I mean, he still made Army of Darkness, which is like, uh, I fucking love Army of Darkness. It, it is like probably one tiny step below Evil Dead 2 for me. Uh, but like, he also made like Drag to Hell, which I love. He made uh, Dark Man, which is like so fucking silly. I love and also movie. like, every now and then I think like, man, the guy from Taken was in that fucking movie. <laughs> it's just so fucking weird. Uh, and, and it's like, this guy's made fucking great movies. Uh, and, and I, it's, it's wild that he made Evil Dead 2 when he was as young as he did. Or even the Evil Dead, for that matter. Did you ever see The Gift with Kate Blanchett, Keanu Reeves, uh, I think I Maggie don't... Gyllenhaal maybe? That's one to definitely check out. That was one of his movies that was, uh, it's like a gothic supernatural kind of drama um, that okay. I, I just saw it this year, but again, like it shows his ability to jump between genres and there's again, this, his own unique stylistic qualities that kind of bleed through everything he makes. So that's one that I just seen that is a little bit off the beaten path of a superhero or dark superhero or evil dead stuff that right, um, right. I think is uh, well worth a reappraisal. But I guess in kind of rounding out, like what is, what's probably one of your favorite Ash quotes? Cause you know, they are numerous and many. Uh, what's one of your favorites, whether it be Shit. Evil Dead or you can give okay. me top two or top three. It doesn't have to be right. the one. I love Ash in Evil Dead 2 the most. Mm. 
um, because he is just, I, I feel like th- exactly what happened in that movie is, is exactly what would happen uh, if I was in a situation. Mm. Uh, Army of Darkness, I probably would have crawled into a ball and, and <laughs> died in the pit. Um, but all of my favorite quotes are from Army of Darkness. Mm. Like, like I, 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 my favorite one is is, <laughs> uh, is when um, God, what's her name? Sheila from Army of Darkness. When she's she's a deadite. Yeah. She's like, oh, you found me beautiful once, and Ash just fucking says, "Honey, you got real ugly," <laughs> and then he fucking hits her. It's so fucking perfect. <laughs> I, I, I. I fucking love that. And, and there's also like, uh, uh, all right, you primitive screwheads. Yeah. <laughs> you see this? And then I, I just love, because that, that scene is just like, in a real movie, like again, we, we talked about this in Evil Dead 2, but in a regular movie, Ash would have gotten out of the pit and then within seconds he would have been like, I'll save you all. Right. Like, that's how a regular movie does it. He He's like, I'm not a bad guy, all right? And then they make up and they move on with the movie. But he's just like, all right, fuck all of you for putting me down in that pit. You're all fucking assholes. You see this fucking stick? This is my boomstick. I'm going to fucking shoot you with it if you touch me one more time. Like, he acts like a normal person would. Um, or should. I mean, I, I fucking love Hail to the King, baby. Like, like, like this is... <laughs> this is me just saying... Um, Army of Darkness quotes. So I'll come up. I'll come up with one Evil Dead Two quote before we end this. But I'm gonna go through the Army of Darkness quotes because they're just too good. Uh, Hail to the King, baby's the best. And I love uh, as as a former retail worker. Uh, that's my favorite scene at the end of the movie where he's fighting the Deadite in the supermarket, and he's just like, "Lady, I'm afraid I'm gonna have to ask you to leave the store." <laughs> and. <laughs> He's like, who are you? The name's Ash. Housewares. That's <laughs> fucking perfect too. Um, I mean, there, there's, there's fucking Groovy from Evil Dead too. God, there, there's just uh, so much. Oh, give me back my hand is a great one. I fucking love give me back my hand from Evil Dead too. We just killed, we just killed my girlfriend with a chainsaw. Does that sound fine to you? Probably one of my favorite. Um, lines in horror in general i love that yeah (laughs) i love swallow this Mm. which is just like i i'm such a sucker for for 80s one-liners like commandos is the best for it i i i I mean it's not an ash quote but i i again i'll say it i love uh baby you're holding my hand too tight um that one's great um yeah it's i mean there's there's just so many different fucking quotes and I feel like in each one, or in each viewing, I mean, uh, you, you're going to find a new one that, that'll be your favorite, and you'll be saying it for a while. Yeah, give me back my hand is pretty good. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that line. Again, that's one of the... And this is the thing, again, like talking about Raimi and humor. The movie doesn't... I think that the reason why Evil Dead for me never becomes... It never like ends up drinking its own, you know, Kool-Aid essentially, because, you know, there are maybe a handful at most of kind of one-liners, but that's for an entire movie, right? He at the same time, like he every single thing he says is not preceded by a one-liner, 
which I think is important, again, talking about not wanting to get burnt out on this character. Granted, by the time you get to Army of Darkness, a majority of what he's saying is in the the realm of like a one-liner or a quip or a snappy little thing. But at the same time, like the way in which that character comes across, it never feels like, okay, like I could do with two or three less little kind of like smart ass moments with him. It just feels like Raimi has, and of course, Bruce Campbell knows how to sell a line, uh, but it just feels like it comes just at the right moment. And then they back off until the next perfectly timed moment with a quote like that. Yeah. Also, I forgot uh, from Army of Darkness, uh, good, bad, I'm the one with the gun, which is great. I literally Uh. (laughs) just wrote that down because that quote, though, like that's one of those cool little like moments for him where he's like the figure of power. But it also really does represent his character in the best way at that point. Right. Because he is sort of a neutral character at that moment. He's not a hero when he says that. And that is, you know, representative of his viewpoint on things and really his position in the world at the medieval world at that time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll end off with this cause we've, we've talked about how, uh, I, I think he's very much like, he almost doesn't belong in, in these movies yeah. where he's reacting to them very differently than a regular movie character would. And I feel like, uh, I feel like e- evil dead, the evil dead is him being thrown into that world. Evil dead two is him living in that world Army of Darkness is them being like, okay, now he really doesn't belong and being very upfront. Like, hey, you thought he didn't belong now. Now he literally doesn't belong in a Arthurian legend. Um, (laughs) And then, and then Ash versus Evil Dead is very much him dealing with the like kind of PTSD of having been thrown into this world. And now he is. Like, obviously, he, he, in the show, they talk about some of the trouble he got into as a high schooler, but it really, the show is very much, like, they explored a lot in season two, like, how going up to that cabin, like, really affected him and kind of ruined his life, and it changed him, and, and like, they never, they never may try to make it too, like, sappy or sympathetic, like, they're, they're not, they're not pushing you to be like, oh, I feel bad for Ash, but they definitely mention it where it's like, yeah, like, my life was normal before I went up to the cabin. And then when I came back, everyone called me ashy slashy told me like, Oh, I killed all my friends and my dad didn't believe me. My mom left my dad. Like I killed my sister and it's like it, they, they touch on it so briefly enough for you to go, wow, I feel bad for Ash, but not enough to ruin the tone of the show. And, uh, and I feel like he, He's an underrated character in in cinema. He's he's someone that uh, he's a misfit. He he's done things you know that no one else has done, and uh, he he deals with the consequences of those. And uh, I love him. I love him. Shout out to Ash. There's that fantastic episode. I think it's season two where they dabble with the idea of is this all in his head post the cabin, right? And I think that that right. is probably one of the best examples of like how you can take a character that, you know, is in some people's eyes, just like a a mouthpiece for one liners and funny things, but then you can kind of tap into the realities of what they've gone through in a way that um, is really creatively interesting. But I want to ask one more thing. We can just do it quickly and then we can get you out of here. 
But, uh, you know, Evil Dead Rise is supposedly still coming out this year, even though we have not seen a trailer. We're halfway through the year. Um, Tonally speaking, do you want them to return to the Evil Dead universe and play it straight? Do you want to see them try to do more of a blending of horror and comedy like we've seen in the classic trilogy? What would you like to see with Evil Dead Rise tonally? You know, I don't know. Like, I liked Evil Dead. I liked the remake. Um, it's it's not the best movie, but it's it's for what was coming out at that time. It was very... I mean, you didn't see that amount of blood in a movie in those times. Uh, and there were a lot of fun kills. The characters kind of sucked. Like, a lot of people are asking to have Mia in the game. And I'm like, ah, why? Like, she was, she, she was a nothing character. Like... They didn't do much with her addiction. Um, it kind of was just a starting point for the movie. And then as soon as demons showed up, they were like, all right, she's not addicted anymore. She's a demon. So I didn't mind the super serious tone of, of Evil Dead. Because even when it is serious, it is still like, it's kind of campy. Like there's still the guy, like the super smart guy decides, hey, I'll read this book for some reason, even though it says don't read. Like there's a lot of campy things still in it. I don't know what to expect from Evil Dead Rise. It's... I also am not too worried about it because I feel like we're in a time where, like... Like, when did that Texas Chainsaw Massacre trailer come out? After years of hearing about it in, like... Like, uh... uh what is it called when an audience views a movie and then they write notes and then the studio freaks out and adds a whole plot? Test screenings? Test screenings, Yeah. Like, I feel like I heard about test screenings for that movie for years. And then we finally got a trailer, like, a month before it came out. Uh, I I feel like I feel like we're in a time when, like, streaming movies will... You'll just get a trailer. Like, I think I think even that, old, that new Paranormal Activity movie, you got a trailer, like, maybe a, a month or two before it came mm. out. Yeah. Um, so I'm not too worried about that, but I don't really know. Like, I, I, I don't really want them to make someone else Ash... So I'd almost kind of want them to do their own thing. And I don't know if I'd want it to be... I want it to be fun. Like, as long as it's fun, I'll, I'll be happy. Um, I, I it, it would be funny if they, like, tried to go the more serious route of horror movies. Um, that would be a fun fake-out if they did, like, a Evil Dead-style movie, but it was, like, a more, like, introspective, kind of like uh, The Babadook or, or Hereditary... That, that, that'd be a funny twist on that. But yeah, I don't really know. I, I want them to make an animated series to finish off Ash vs. Evil Dead. Because I know... I know Bruce Campbell has said that, like, Ash... He's 60... He just turned 65 not too long ago. And... He... Says that it's, like, hard on his body to play Ash. I'm like, yeah, you're 60 years old. I get it. So it'd be cool if they got, like... Uh, I was talking to my friend. I'm like, dude... Get Gendy Tarkovsky to make a Evil Dead series to finish it off. I just think that'd be funny. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I want. But uh, also, we, we've gotten so much good shit. Like, for a series to have this much good stuff and to not have turned into, like, Star Wars is pretty awesome. So I I feel grateful for what we've been given, all the games, uh, all, everything that's been inspired. I've been playing Shadows of the Damned again recently and th that is such an evil dead game they even make a reference to the cabin in the cellar like <laughs> very cool it's it's I'm, I'm very grateful for what we've got so 
whatever we get from here on out, you know, is bonus. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll have to wait and see, but I think that, uh, it'll be interesting just again, I'm just happy that they're going to continue to make movies that operate in this universe. And it's, it's my attitude towards remakes in general, right? It's like, well, if, and not to say this is a remake, but just, I have the same attitude where it's like, well, if it isn't representative of what I enjoyed in past movies, I'll just fucking go watch those. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just, I'm just happy to see people play in sandboxes that, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we might not have seen those same opportunities. So it'll be interesting to see, but uh, yeah, it was uh, a pleasure chatting with you about horror as always, man. And before I let you go, I'd love to give you a chance to uh, plug your podcast, which I thoroughly enjoy, as you know, and I got to be on once, maybe in the future again, but why don't you plug some of your stuff? Absolutely not. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we'd love to have you on. Uh, the Nuclear Fridge are on all your favorite podcast platforms. We're hoping to get on YouTube soon, do some video. It, it, we've hit a stride with that podcast that I'm just super happy about. It only took a year, but every episode is fun to record. Uh, we've, we've been having a blast, and if you like just dudes jamming jamming their lips at each other talking about god knows what whatever comes into their mind like i think uh, a couple weeks ago whenever this podcast comes out we talked about game shows we talked about celebrity mug shots it, it's a fun goof around podcast and every now and then we bring on a, a awesome guest like uh jay here and we talk about them and uh have a good time and where can people follow you on uh twitter for updates about oh. the show or whatever else you're up to yeah you can follow me at matt paget M-A-T-P-A-G-E-T on Twitter. Uh, the Nuclear Fridge on Twitter. I think it's just Nuclear Fridge. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, just follow us on there. Um, I don't tweet much, but I tweet everything I do just because that's pretty much what Twitter has become. Uh, and then every now and then I have a dumb thought that I put on there and then I delete it because it wasn't as funny as it was in my head. <laughs> that's very relatable. Thanks again for having me on this podcast. Absolutely. Not a problem. And I look forward to chat with you again in the future, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.